Are we recording? Yes, we are. Let's get started. All right. Let's do it. So, uh, hello, everybody, uh, and welcome to a, a new episode. So, uh, today we have a very special guest, um, like extremely special because uh, Roger uh, here has helped us immensely uh, in our group. So, um, him with uh, Access Silicon Valley and Procopio uh, has helped um, like multiple startups. Uh, oh, hold on, let me turn off the ringer on my phone. Anyways, uh, so anyways, uh, he has uh, helped uh, multiple startups uh, in giving them advice, and he also uh, hosts workshops here in uh, Palo Alto at the Procopio office. Uh, he's been a uh, wonderful like um, steward and helper um, for uh, the Generative AI uh, meetup group. And uh, yeah, so anyways... Roger, welcome, and uh, welcome to the podcast. So uh, I give a short little introduction, but would you be able to tell us like a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me, number one. Yeah. Uh, I feel honored having seen you guys take this from sort of ideation through what has become probably the preeminent group, preeminent group on the uh, on the peninsula. So kudos to you guys for, uh, you know, starting this and really growing it to something that I think people really get an immense um, amount of knowledge from. And uh, anyway, so so about myself, I am um, a recovering entrepreneur. <laughs> I, uh, I was an entrepreneur for 10 years, and um, I can honestly say I probably made every mistake in the book. Uh, and after 10 years of blood, sweat, and tears, I had an exit that really wasn't commensurate with or relative to the blood, sweat, and tears that I put into it. But I went back to South Africa, kicked back on the beach for a couple of weeks, a couple of years, hmm. and met my wife who, who said that she couldn't take a beach mom home to meet her parents. So I went back to law school, and um, uh, it was an amazing time in South Africa, Mandela just being released, first free and fair elections. And... Uh, but I always knew I was coming back to America, came back, did law school here, and ended up in Palo Alto in uh, 1997, which was right at the beginning of the bubble. And uh, that was an amazing time here. And Sounds that's like a great time. Yeah, and that was an amazing time until 2001, which <laughs> is when I bought my house right at the top of the market. But uh, that's another, another story. <laughs> Buy high, sell low. Um, so um, that, that really was my passion having done a startup um, and being here in Palo Alto at the beginning of what was a really incredible time. Uh, and that's, that's been where I've focused my, my time and my effort. I, um, I head up Procopio's Emerging Growth and Venture Capital Practice Group. So I deal with startups right from inception all the way through multiple rounds of funding and ultimately exit, which is what everybody hopes for. And, 99.9% of the time it's by acquisition. But, you know, there are the IPOs and then everything in between. And that's why I really love working with startups because you never know from day to day what crisis you're going to be working on. Uh, that's the life of a startup. So you mentioned uh, you were an entrepreneur in your past life. What uh, role did you fill uh, in your startups? So chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> with most startups, you're doing sales, you're doing finance, you know. Um, and ultimately, I, I grew it to where we had people that were doing things, and I didn't have to do all the hiring and firing. I made the rule, you hire, you fire, because that was the worst part of uh, of the job. But 
um, yeah, in the beginning it was just me and uh, sitting in a in a in an apartment with no furniture, eating ramen noodle noodles at night. Uh, it really was the way it, it is with most startups that start today. You know, that are really bootstrapping. You mentioned that was uh, before '97, so that must have been like pre-internet. Yeah, that was uh, like what? prehistoric. What was the yeah. ecosystem like yeah. back then? What was pre internet, pre electricity. Yeah. Yeah. What was yeah. the startup ecosystem like back then? Uh, the, I, I did it in Houston, and there really was no real ecosystem, which is why um, when I became a lawyer, I really wanted to firstly try and save entrepreneurs from themselves, one entrepreneur at a time, just from the mistakes that I made, um, but also was to try and create an ecosystem for people outside of Silicon Valley. Because I think we just take it for granted. This event tonight, there may be, you know, 10 or 15 other events, not necessarily Gen AI, but for startups that are really useful. Outside of Silicon Valley, it just doesn't exist. And so um, what, I, what I've tried to do with Access Silicon Valley, uh, you mentioned that in, in your intro, I started this about 10 years ago recognizing that outside of Silicon Valley, there really isn't a community that people could get access to the kind of information we take for granted in Silicon Valley. And so I, I created Access Silicon Valley to provide access to the best and brightest VCs, being there, done entrepreneurs and experts so that folks could you know suck up that knowledge and become sort of part of the Silicon Valley mindshare, even though they may be in... Kuala Lumpur or Duluth or New York, even though everybody in those areas thinks that it's Silicon Valley, it really isn't. The velocity and the talent here is just unmatched, you know, from anywhere else in the country. Yeah, I have noticed, uh, you know, like like you mentioned, uh, most people have this vision of Silicon Valley as the cutting edge, um, at the forefront of uh, all this new technology. Um, but post-COVID in this remote work world, I think a lot of uh, organizations and um, you know VCs are trying to spread the message uh, to other countries and try to open up uh, meetup groups like this one uh, in other places to try to get um, founders from every other nook and cranny of the world to uh, get access to the knowledge that we have here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there, there is amazing talent outside of Silicon Valley, and there are amazing companies and ideas that are born outside of Silicon Valley. But I think what makes Silicon Valley so unique, unique from LA or Boston or New York, is that the ecosystem is so well-developed with so many serial fill-in-the-blank CEOs, CMOs, you know, CFOs, that people that have been there done it so many times, and that kind of feeds on itself. It, it's kind of a sickness. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into a, a company. You, you know, spend ten years. You exit, and then three months later, you start another company. And it's just that velocity and that that pool of talent, which I think is so unique to Silicon Valley because they've been doing it for so long, and you have so many serials, and they become mentors, and they become new CEOs, and they become if they were. A technical founder, maybe they're doing a startup. As a CEO, I've got a number of clients that have transitioned from technical founder to, in the new companies, you know, uh, business CEO founder. 
which is just unusual outside of Silicon Valley to have that many cereals, um, which which does affect the trajectory of the company, whether it's you know ease of getting funding. If you've done it before, you've mitigated the risk on the execution front from an investor because you've got a team that's serial. And so funding becomes easier and then it becomes easier to attract talent. And so the cycle is just you know self-perpetuating where it's just more difficult outside of Silicon Valley. Yeah, I think that's that's really true. Um, and uh, just you know, one thing about just Silicon Valley in general is um, you know the environment here is just like as you mentioned, just like nothing else on earth. Like um, when I uh, moved here back in 2015, I was just like blown away by how many people are like programmers working on startups um you know you just drive around up and down the 101 and you see uh, all these big names of the, the signs yeah. and billboards of just all the the huge companies so just silicon valley is like you know uh, there's nowhere else on earth uh, quite like it um yeah it's it's cool so um yeah the velocity i think <laughs> yeah. is is so different you know just i was looking at, in san diego um for ai groups yeah there isn't one you know, when you think about San Francisco, there's a ton of them. You know, you guys dominate uh, the South Bay. But for a city the size of San Diego not to have an AI meetup group, yeah. it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, I think uh, I've seen AI lumped under general tech. Um, yeah. But I think now, uh, since like November of 2022, uh, it warrants a like a specified group just for AI and generative AI, LLMs, diffusion models. Um, And we've met a couple of members uh, in our group who've come from other states, other countries. um, And they've talked to us about opening something similar from where they're from in Miami and Austin and Germany. Um, So it's definitely something that people uh, have a need for. Um, Mm -hmm. But like you said, the concentration uh, that we find here in Silicon Valley of engineers, entrepreneurs, uh, people enthusiastic about uh, cutting-edge tech is unparalleled. Yeah, I, I I don't know of any city where, if even if you did have a meetup group just like this, where you would get 80 or 100 people you know, coming to an event. I just don't know whether there are 100 people that focused and have that same interest that you guys have here. Um, I also think uh, this specific point in time, um, so you mentioned you were starting your career, legal career, um, at the start of the internet boom. Um, do you see any parallels between that and what we're going through now? So there, there are some parallels. Uh, you know, the internet, the internet was kind of new and it kind of felt like the Wild West. Uh, but there it was all about user acquisition. It was about eyeballs. It was, you know, whatever you could do to attract eyeballs, it didn't matter about profitability. It really didn't matter about the unit economics. It just meant about attracting users. And that, you know, I think when the, the bust happened, it really was a function of, you know, you cannot continue to operate a business that doesn't have sound business principles, you know, getting to cash flow, uh, break even. And um, I think what I, the parallel I see, and especially when, uh, GBT was launched, there was like this gold rush. It felt like the Wild West again. But I think the difference was with Gen AI 
And even though AI is nothing new, you know, we've talked for years and had clients in ML and DL, but this was something new. And I remember the first time it was like a day after OpenAI launched GBT and I, I tried it and I went like, wow, this is going to be transformative for me. I mean, this is <coughs> not from an explore, exploration perspective because I, I really don't use Gen AI for exploration. As a lawyer, you have to know the answer that you're looking for. You don't want to rely on GBT to give you an answer. But, you know, for stuff that I do, which it can help accelerate um, what I'm doing in terms of the speed, time, and efficiency, that's amazing. And I just felt like this was going to be transformative. It was going to transform our marketing department. It was going to transform the way I did access Silicon Valley and events and writing blurbs for, for Meetup and for, for Eventbrite. And it really has borne you know, born that out. But I think the difference between 2001 and 22-23 was this is transformative. This is transforming the way companies are doing business. People are just going to, to operate. And it's, it's affecting the basic business fundamentals of companies. Yeah, I think that's, that's really true. Um, I mean, while the internet you know, obviously is huge and transformative and is like literally changed the world. I don't know, to me, like generative AI, it, it feels like bigger and more important, um, especially because in a certain sense, um, it's not like the internet enabled everybody to communicate and, and publish things uh, for essentially zero, right? So everybody was able to have a voice, but with generative AI, it's going to be so like everybody on their phone is going to have like a brain. And uh, this, I think soon uh, will surpass like the uh, capabilities of human brain and I, I don't know like if we can like truly predict what that will look like but the world in 10 years is going to be a lot different yeah. it's going to get weird i mean especially if, i mean if if you think about neural networks and the, the potential there i mean if you could have a thought process like a brain with um, this amazing neural network, I, it, it just is sort of incomprehensible to me what this is going to look like. But, you know, um, got a client that's building a self-aware robot. Wow. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what this looks like because uh, I think that's going to be part of the, our future. I think especially a couple of years down the line, as this technology keeps getting better, the hardware keeps getting cheaper, and the amount of funding being poured into these startups keeps like exponentially growing with uh, the numbers reaching not, not like billions or tens, I think uh, hundreds of billions, if not trillions. Uh, yeah. I, and the funding environment has, you know, 23 was hard. I think after 22, there was a sort of um, gold rush for Gen AI. And I, I don't know how many clients I had called me up and asked me, what would it take to change the name of the company from xyz to xyz dot ai um, and, and that would attract funding you know i had to break it to them that it really that wasn't the case but there was a lot of money that that very early on got thrown at anything gen ai and i think investors have become a lot more discerning uh, just because you look up an api to open ai does not mean you're an ai company and you know there's a the difference between ai first and you know incorporating some component of ai which most of my clients at this point are doing. Um, and so I think the funding landscape is going to 
level are. Um, this year, it seems like, from my perspective, just anecdotally, this year has been uh, probably two or three X in terms of funding is what it was the same period last year. Mm. And so I think this is going to be an incredible year for funding of startups. You know, especially those startups that have got decent KPIs or unit economics, even though it may be on a small scale. Um, it just seems like the flund- funding floodgates have opened for early stage companies. I'm curious uh, what kind of startups you're seeing getting funded. Um, so one popular thought is, you know, in a gold rush, build shovels, um, build infrastructure, build uh, tools that allow you to create uh, synthetic data, uh, hosting, scaling. Um, have you seen mostly these kinds of infrastructure plays or um, domain experts incorporating Gen AI into what they're good at already? So, yeah, I, I kind of see clients in two buckets. Those that are AI first are building LLMs, you know, building LLMs for fine tuning in particular verticals, whether it's financial or, you know, different verticals. Um, and then those that are incorporating, you know, Gen AI into their product offerings. But I, but I do agree. I think a lot of the shovels are, um, are getting funded. And uh, we had uh, a panel a few months ago where, you know, I asked the question, you know, where are the winners? What's the low-hanging fruit? And um, this guy said the arms dealers. <laughs> and you know these these companies you know that are building these shovels are the arms dealers and he was saying like look nvidia being the biggest one yeah <laughs> that's yeah. true and he was saying like look if you can he came from large enterprise and he was saying look our biggest pains are compute power um you know at everything that goes along with that if you can help us solve any of these problems we're not asking you to build our LLMs for us. We're asking you to solve the problems that we have. If you can help us fine-tune better, if you can help us, you know, with the compute power or whatever, we're going to buy you. Yeah, we're going to fund you and then we're going to buy you. Are there any uh, interesting uh, companies or uh, examples that you can talk about? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) There's this thing called confidentiality. (laughs) uh, And, you know, a lot of them are in stealth. Okay. And so can't really talk about the technology. I invited a few of them tonight hmm. to talk. I don't know if they will or won't, but um, I think people feel reticent. Some people, you know, that are on that path and building something to get funded at this point, just because there's there's a lot of people doing a lot of things that kind of want to maintain and staff. That's understandable. Yeah, yeah, um, for, for sure. Um, so one thing that I, I would kind of want to ask about is um, like what and you kind of like touched on this earlier, but like at what stage uh, do you think like a startup would be able to, to start reaching out to you um, and, you know, asking for like your advice to, to help with things like setting up the business? I don't exactly know, like, you know, founding documents like, um, you know, if, yeah, if, if you're like a, a startup like that's like like a solo person or like maybe like two guys like maybe they haven't like got any money yet um like would that be too early to come reach out to you uh or would you do you typically work with companies a little bit bigger no so i i like to start with companies at the earliest earliest stage um because my goals and objectives early on are to set them up in such a way that they are absolutely well positioned for funding and that starts you know with step one so it's 
it's having the right entity incorporated in the right state with the right split between the founders, the right vesting schedule. So there's a lot of strategy at the very early stages in setting up a company so that when an investor, six months, 12 months, 18 months, three months, you know, pulls that bow and the startup pops up, it's just a check, 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 check. And, you know, it's not something that you can get from Stripe or from Cloakey because there's no there's no strategy. There's just you go, you fill out a form and it just spits out documents. And so often what I've got to do is go into cleanup mode with my shovel, um, you know, behind what's being done to fix things. You know, there aren't enough shares authorized or the pool's too big. Um, and so, you know, a lot of founders think, oh, I'm just going to wait until I get funding and then I'm going to start my company and then I'll have money. You know, I, I try and make uh, my service really affordable with a very, very reasonable startup package so that they get everything that they need right off the bat and they know that it will pass muster. When I've got clients going into YC and YC sends off their due diligence request list for documents, within 10 minutes, they've got access to a data room that's been built from day one. Everything is in there. And same thing with investors. So I used to say, say to my employees when I was an entrepreneur, if you take care of the small things, I have confidence you'll take care of the big things. If you don't take care of the small things, I have zero confidence you'll take care of the big things. And that's the way I think investors feel as well, or even people that you're bringing on. If you're in a competitive hiring environment and you bring on a co-founder and the co-founder says, hey, can I see the offer letter? Can I see the plan? And you go, well, we haven't really formed the company yet. (laughs) Um, It's like, like, you know, I angel invest and I get, you know, Companies reaching out to me and saying, hey, we'd love you to take a look at this. And I go, great. Tell me about your structure. And they go, well, we're over at Wyoming LLC. And I go, okay. In my mind, I'm thinking, like, if you just spent three minutes, forget GBT. If you just spent three minutes on Google and just said, what entities will VCs invest in and which won't they invest in? It will tell you Delaware SQL. It's always Delaware. <laughs> and it's a sequel, notwithstanding Elon's move to Texas. Mm. It's always Delaware sequel, and for a variety of reasons. But if you if you don't look like you understand the ecosystem, from my perspective, it looks like there's going to be execution risks on multiple fronts if you haven't even taken the time to really do the basics. And and I think one of the basics is you have to get a startup lawyer early. If you wait to get you know, your company set up before you get funded is a huge potential tax issue, getting your shares on the eve of funding. And, you know, I think what in my startup, I knew that I didn't know anything. Um, and so I just tried to put people around me that knew, or at least I thought knew what, the, what I didn't know. And I think it's really, really crucial from day one to have really good startup advice. Here's a kind of a hardball question, maybe. Um, okay. Can this role be automated? Uh, cause, cause <laughs> um, you, you, you mentioned uh, these startup founders go and use some uh, stock templates. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's not sufficient, but if there's an LLM that can talk to you, understand what stage of the process you're at and where you're located and give you suggestions. So maybe I'll give you the, the, the lawyer's answer. It, it depends, <laughs> right? So there are so many things, and I think 
where I'm different is just because I had a different experience as an entrepreneur. The And I say to my clients, do not be a slave to convention, right? You have to think about your startup, what's appropriate for your startup. So the just for example, like an option pool, right? I, I always say to the you know, folks that come to my workshops, how should big should your option pool be? And people go 15%, 20%, 25%. And I go, why? That's what most people do. And so they do it because most people do it. But the reality is that when you go out for funding, you've only got two negotiating levers. One is the pre-money valuation and the other is the size of your option pool. If you have a really big pool, you've lost a, a negotiating lever. And so I don't know how you'd automate that because it's all based on a discussion, intuition, building a model, and maybe you could get there. But, you know, when we look at what, what size of pool we're going to have, it's, it's a discussion about a value inflection point, which is going to need to be achieved for funding. How much money is going to be needed to get there? How many people and what people are we going to have to hire with those use of proceeds and what kind of comp equity comp are we going to give so that we can build out the first step is how big sharp will be and so maybe it could be automated i mean you guys are brilliant you could probably write <laughs> you know some code and do that um, but, I, I think you have all the data though <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah um, but there's so many different variables depending on the industry depending on the time the timeline to funding um and often it, it takes a discussion to, with a founder to elicit information, to be able to you know, draw on those variables to give them the right answer. And like I said, you guys are probably you know, smart enough to write something you know, if you had enough data. But it just seems like so often the answer is different because I really try and get my entrepreneurs to think about their companies differently to what's the convention so yeah it's a long answer to maybe no i I think that makes perfect sense um you mentioned uh like maybe to uh, paraphrase uh not to follow uh conventions set by uh, other people because it may not apply to your specific situation um and another thing that uh, maybe i remember something that uh, these accelerators uh, drilled into me when i was going through their startup accelerators was uh you know, you always think about the uh, next milestone uh, when you think about fundraising or, uh, you know, hiring employees. Why are you hiring these employees? Why are you raising money? Uh, is to get to that next milestone, uh, finding product market fit or finding getting cash flow positive or reaching a certain um, market penetration threshold or something. So you think about those milestones and then work backwards to figure out yeah. how much money you need and how, yeah, how, that's, that's how many exactly, people you yeah. hire. And I'm doing a funding strategy workshop in a couple of weeks. The goal is, as I'm advising my clients, is to identify the inflection point. And one of the hard things is for them to really understand what that inflection point is. Because what you always want to be doing is raising money at a much higher valuation. And so you have to understand what the inflection point is that will get you a higher valuation. So, you know, I'll have clients say, you know, I'm raising $500,000. And I go, why? They said, we want to build the product. I go, well, that's great. 
But if we go out fundraising, people are going to say, you know, what have you raised? We're going to say 500. And they're going to say, what do you have? And we're going to say, a product. And they're going to say, we can't fund you on that, right? Because you haven't validated your hypothesis. You haven't demonstrated market fit. There's no unit economics. There's no KPIs. So the, the, identifying the milestone as not being but you know, developing the product, but it's developing the product and getting some level of traction, some some level of market fit so that you can really show that dogs will eat the dog food. And I've seen so many companies build big, beautiful products that no one wants. Um, and so if you if you don't get beyond just having a pretty product, you're not going to be fund, fundable. And so really understanding... And this is where I think it'd be hard to to do this, you know, with with AI and automate the process. It's really helping the founder understand what that inflection point is and then building a model, you know, from the bottom up, inside out, to support, you know, what it what it's gonna take in terms of funding to get to that inflection point. Mm-hmm. So when you know when a, when a founder comes to me and is looking for funding and says you know we're raising five hundred, I go like that's really weird. Like everybody's inflection point costs five hundred <laughs> to get from here to there. Like tell me, show me the model why it is five hundred, and then it's like well you know I figured that's kind of what a pre seed is, and that's just the wrong answer. Um, and you know when I invest. I, I really have to see a model and it has to be a believable model based on sound assumptions to get to a, an inflection point. If you're going to go for a Series A, if your inflection point is a Series A, you have to have a scalable, predictable business model with unit economics and KPIs, if it's a SaaS play, that are sort of the typical SaaS metrics. I've, uh, I've also been uh, hearing that um, the newer companies that are being started in the last year or so uh, are considerably smaller than the companies that came beforehand because uh, they don't need to hire as many personnel. A lot of these tasks can be automated, um, whether it's engineering, design, marketing especially. Um, have you seen the team size shrink at all? Not really because most of my most of my companies that I work with, they start off very, very lean. There's maybe a couple of co-founders uh, <clears throat> maybe three or four co-founders if it's a big group, but very often people come together with you know really complementary skill sets. You'll find someone that's product, you'll find someone that's business, um, someone technical, and it's a really well-rounded team. People who have come together, if they've all got the same skill sets, like that's kind of useless. Um, and yes, I think as they start to scale, they're they're not scaling as big as companies would have. You know, with a seed or a pre-seed or even a Series A, um, what I have found for companies that are you know, that have closed on Series A is that there is much more focus on sales, um, and there are efficiencies because of AI in marketing uh, and even in development. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're uh, almost about out of time. Uh, Roger, is there anything that you'd like to, to mention that we didn't ask you about? Uh, I know we could probably talk for like another two hours. Uh, I feel like we might have to do this again. But anyways. Or, or maybe anything you'd like to plug. Um, let people know uh, about Access Silicon Valley. Um, 
Yeah, I wish I had more time for Access Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, if you look at the, the website, it is so kludgy. It's WordPress. I'm not you guys, right? I'm not technical. So whenever I touch anything, even if it's just to do an update for a plugin, it blows up. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I wish that I had more technical chops. I wish I had the time to, to really get in there and build a big, beautiful website that, you know, right now, it, my goal is to provide content mm -hmm. for people so that they can actually, you know, go on there and watch these firesides with VCs. And it's not all sexy stuff, what's hot, what's not, who's funding, who's not. It's really, tell us from an investor's perspective what turns you on, what turns you off. You know, real advice. We've got Barry Eggers, uh, co-founder of Lightspeed, coming in next week. Mm -hmm. And really, I want him to be in the weeds, helping entrepreneurs really understand because I think so many entrepreneurs have the entrepreneur hat on and they just can't switch hats and look at their company from an investor's perspective. You know, there are technological risks, there are sustainability risks, there are execution risks. And how does your company, from an investor's perspective, stack up against the 40 other deals they've got on their desk? And so that's kind of the goal and objective. Um, but yeah, my passion is startups and I really... I really enjoy working with really smart people doing really cool things. So, well, uh, so uh, I yeah. really appreciate you taking what little time you have to talk oh, about uh, the funding landscape and some of the legal issues that startups face. Um, I'll make sure to put some of the links to Access Silicon Valley and Procopio Law Offices in the show notes. But yeah, excellent. Thank you. With that being said, th thanks, Roger, yeah. for everything you do for the, the group. Um, oh, like, honestly, you. without you, like, uh, uh, I think the group would, would not be where it is now. So. I completely agree. Uh, uh, I think we've I don't believe that's talked about this before, but uh, Roger reached out before the group had its first event. Um, and he's like, hey, you guys, uh, you guys want to host your event uh, at uh, Procopia? And I was like, what? what is Procopia? And, uh, <laughs> we haven't even like hosted, a, hosted like an a event. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, a couple months. About, about a year. Yeah, yeah, well, a, year. yeah a couple months. So. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I looked at what you guys are doing and I said, like, this is amazing. I want to be a part of this. This is going to be big. Yeah. And I, I wasn't wrong. You know, you guys have just really attracted, you know, the format attracts people the um you know who you guys are and who you you get as speakers it really is phenomenal we have nothing to do with that you guys have just built something amazing on that note let's get ready for our next event yeah. all right yeah thank you so much Roger. thank you you're welcome thanks guys